Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. The only saving grace that I have is Lee Gunner's blood pressure is going to be through the roof. When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Slaps, slaps, slaps. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through that mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to the... <sighs> podcast with Alexander Moneypenny, my very good friend Bradley Adams, and I'm delighted to say it's a bright and uh, dismal evening. Our very good friend, Ben Browning, joins us. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I wish it would be in better circumstances, but, you know, we make do. We make we, do. We plod on. You've still got your Arsenal top on, which I'm, I'm impressed with. It's not set on fire yet. I haven't had the energy to do anything. I got yeah. up from the sofa, turned the game off and came in here. Fair so. play to you for watching the end of it. I was, I was, I was on my laptop, mate. I, I honestly couldn't watch it. What, what I found funny was some of the, was it, I, I miss whether they were saying it's still alive here in the, in the Champions League context or the game. Cause they were saying at 96th minute, something could happen. Who knows? I was like, I, I appreciate that guys, but it is gone. Oh. <laughs> like, that's, that's been that's been sky all season hasn't it so something could happen yeah. something could narrative drivers narrative drivers arsenal zero newcastle two at st james's park it felt inevitable um looks like champions league football isn't happening we've got lots and lots and lots of thoughts um we'd love to hear listeners thoughts tweets in at diff knock um yeah we'll just get started i mean i have to say i think i said this to you boys just before we started I can't get that angry about it. I don't feel particularly... It's an apathy. Yeah, it's an it, yeah, and that is my word of the game. There you go, Brad. It, it is apathy. It's apathy that I just feel... I felt like the Thursday game took it out of me, took the kind of emotional investment out of, it, out of me, and I, I came up with a lot of like, well, it'll be all right because we'll have Europa League and et cetera, et cetera, stuff that I do believe... But then this evening felt like the kind of the knockout blow that we knew was coming. I or certainly I felt was coming anyway. I look at that team, and as um, and Brad, as you were saying before we before we started tonight and this period has made it very very clear basically what we already knew. There are certain players in this team who are bottlers. There's certain players in this team who should never play for Arsenal again, and I, I mean that quite seriously. And there's certain players we can build around, and certain players who deserve better and are absolutely on their last legs. I, I, in the whole mess of tonight, I do not want it to go uh, missing that Ben White had a fantastic game considering he's been injured, he's been out. I thought he was absolutely on his knees at some point. Um, but as I say, apathetic, and we can get into the kind of the reasons why I think, not to say this is a positive, but there's, you know, there's reasons we can be, um, we can be positive around it. Um, but yeah, Ben, love to hear your word of the game. I went with deserved because we were battered from start to finish at Newcastle. Um, 
we didn't deserve top four. Everyone was saying before the game, if you can't beat 14th place Newcastle, I know their position now is a bit of a misrepresentation of how good they've become. But if you can't beat Newcastle and Everton, then you don't deserve top four. And the same is true if you can't beat Brighton, Palace, Southampton. You look at all the games. You, that is deserved. We are where we are because the table doesn't lie. And at the end of the day, that is where we should be, as tantalising as the idea of Champions League football was for so long. With Spurs, It was almost us and Spurs who can out-meme each other and, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, they've held they've held their nerve. They've got the they've got the experienced players in that side that when it really comes down I mean, I'm saying this about Spurs, when it really comes down to it, they can occasionally get the job done. And we've shown time and time again that we can't. And so we are, yeah. Where we w- and on that we're asking, you know, it's it's important to to kind of impress upon people. We are asking actual children to keep in tow with two of like two world-class players and Antonio Conte, uh, uh, like a brilliant manager. So like it, it was always going to be difficult. Yes, it was in our hands and we have kind of slipped, but that, that is the nature, you know, of, of football. It's, it's, it is always going to happen. And I think this leads on to my word of the game, which is foreseeable. I think since January, this has always been a situation that we could foresee coming in the fact that we don't have quality enough options to rotate. So we haven't rotated enough. So we've come to the end of the season with players like Saka, uh, Martinelli. Um, literally, we looked dead on our feet tonight. And that's so foreseeable. And it's it's absolutely foreseeable that Tottenham are cantering into the top floor because of the form of one of the two players they signed in January to bolster their options. And whilst Champions League football would have obviously been brilliant for the vibes and uh, for the financial implications and the squad building implications. Mainly the vibes. We're not going to win the competition next season. Spurs aren't going to win the competition next season. We have more chance of winning the Europa League and it's an easier competition that we can rotate these new options that we will be bringing the club into more. There are a lot of positives that can be found in this situation. It's obviously a shame that it has panned out this way, but better to have been in this race and lost it than to have never been in this at all. I can't believe you guys are ruling out Norwich. It's unbelievable. The lack of faith the pair of you are showing. Uh, unreal. Yeah, Brad, I, I think that's the, the last thing you said there really, really sums up my feelings. You know, I taking a 30,000 foot view at this club, the direction of travel is good. If are you, you in the away end at St. James's Park? Hey, football <laughs> banter. That's very good, Brad. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Witty. Um, very good. Zero pounds. Um, the... Yeah, I, I just I think taking a long distance view on this, the direction of travel is good. The process is good. I'm looking around this evening, and the players that I never want to play for the club again are players that weren't signed under Arteta: Pepe, El Neni, Cedric, Lacazette. Those are the players I never want to play for the club again. They, they are the players that I think, and there might be a few others. I mean, Cedric was, but oh, was he? Oh fuck yeah, he was. But um, yeah. Anyway, ruins my point. Yeah, but three, three give of those. A contract. But, you know, well, 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 we'll, we'll ignore that. Um, but, you know, what I mean? they're, they're the kind of the suspects that we that we we've always we've had on our hit list. We've known for such a long time that it kind of feels it kind of feels pointless to go in on those players. We know they're not good enough. We know 
we think, we hope that the club are trying to move them on, maybe Cedric or whatever, and obviously the conversations around Elneny, but they don't feel like the the club is resting their their um their hopes and dreams on these players. Elneny might be a decent contract to have because he's he'll accept a certain amount of minutes of the club. Maybe there's a conversation around that. Cedric, while well, you don't have a backup right back, okay, he's fine to keep around. No one's saying these are the guys. And I think the process is taking shape and the people that we got in in the summer have, have objectively lifted us up. Um, and as Brad says, you know, Europa League football, as much as it would have been obviously incredible to be in the Champions League and we would have all, you know, enjoyed that, I think we would have got to the beginning of next season and started to think, oh, fuck. Like we're in a proper, we might get embarrassed in this competition. We might, you know, really lose a lot of credibility and also for those players that come in you know you know Saka etc coming into those games maybe not ready you know young teams getting absolutely pummeled I'm not I'm not sure what it done for our confidence so we have to go with the pace that this team is at and this team is not at a Champions League level yet we have to accept that we had a great opportunity this season but we're at our level and we saw it tonight we got found that found out for what we are um and I thought actually the the team looked knackered. The team looked absolutely dead on their feet. I mean, Ben White, absolutely dead on his feet. Saka must be carrying something, has been carrying something for weeks. Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the whole season <laughs> on his back. Um, yeah. You know, has been, has been, yeah, carrying this team for, for such a long time. And in that situation, you get down to the brass tacks of the game. You're not going to be winning the second balls. You're not going to be getting out to, you know, there was a moment where Tomiyasu swings a lazy leg out at St. Maximan. I think, I think El Nenny's filling at that point at centre back, but the two players there can't get out to him quickly enough. The reason we couldn't get out for such a long time is we literally, I, I watched this moment, which will stick in my head for such a long time of that game. Erdegaard picks up the ball, slightly miscontrols it, gets it out of his feet, sort of lumbers a bit, bit forward, passes a weak pass to Saka. Saka can't really control it. He gets a little bit further up the pitch, cuts inside, really sort of tepid shot at um, Dubravka. And that just sums it up. Those guys were our pod on the right-hand side that made us tick at some points this season, and they are done. And this is now a squad conversation. But as I said at the beginning of this, this you know, we know we know that. We know that. And, um, and we got found out. Brad, I mean, looking at the game a bit more granularly, how do you assess what happened this evening? Like, do you, because I know you've said you feel like there was a lack of effort, but I, I looked at that team at the end and I felt as though they were giving, most of them was, were giving the maximum of their ability considering the, the energy levels. Uh, there's a, there was a few players that I was, I was, uh, I wasn't very, you know, pleased with the, the impact that Emil Smith Rowe had. I thought that for a player that, uh, I, I don't know if he's carrying something, but he's not exactly played a lot of minutes. So I would have expected him to look fresher on the pitch. And at points, he just looked like he couldn't stand up and pass the ball without falling over. Um, mainly tonight for me, and I don't, I hate to hang losses on a single person in a team because it's also unrepresentative of a, a team game. But I think one of the massive places that we lost this game tonight and to look at it very finitely was Mohamed Elneny in the midfield. He was consistently, consistently placing himself in the cover shadow, 
like com- completely stuck in there, wasn't allowing himself to be found in any sorts of pockets of space at points. And then when he would pick up the ball, he would dally on it for two, three, four seconds too long. He would then have two forward options and pass sideways and get annoyed at the people in front of him. This was a resurgence of the El Neni we know rather than the El Neni that we've seen. And like we've already said on this episode, you know, it's a perfect kind of way to end the season to show us what we need to do and where we need to go. I, I think that there is a, there is a conversation to be had about the lack of reinforcements in January. And that's why we look so dead on our feet because we don't trust in players like Pepe and we don't trust in certain players. But again, your the the reinforcements in January are just as much of a gamble to hit the ground running as anyone else currently in this team. You know, we could we could have brought in Kulisevsky, for example, a player that we were linked with in January, and he could have had nowhere near the impact that he's had at Spurs. You know, all of these things, especially January deals when you can't get your number one or number two targets, are gambles, and we decided to take the gamble to not take any gambles and it, you know, it did not pay off. Could another gamble have worked? Of course. But I do think there's a conversation about January that isn't, that isn't particularly great, but um, has understandable reasons why. But I do think that there has been an issue this season with squad rotation that needs to be fixed for next season because Bukayo Saka cannot go through another season of playing 38 games, playing in the World Cup, playing every minute for Arsenal without without having a serious major injury. We will end this boy's career early with ACL after ACL or ridiculous injuries because we are we are putting too much work into that young body. And it, it's like it's like what's happened to Michael Owen. It's like what's happened to so many young professional footballers who have that much thrust on them that quickly. We will ruin this boy for ourselves if we do not figure out and get more players in to rotate these players. Yeah, and I think that'll be a factor to consider in the in the contract negotiations. I'm sure he's thinking, you know, how am I going to be supported? Not just, you know, in terms of players in my position, but the players around me. I need I need help. I can't be expected to do this at my age. Um, I want to come back to the January thing, Brad, because I think you opened a good good um, thread there. But Ben, I can't remember who said it recently, but someone said they feel as though fans project their nerves onto players. And I think that is true to some degree. You know, we look at players and we think, oh, God, they look nervous. And I actually watching that game tonight, I mean, I'm, I am of the opinion that we were just knackered, as I've said. But do you, do you feel like there were nerves in that, in that team tonight? I think that there were nerves. I don't think there were nerves going into the game. I think there were nerves very early on in the game. And that was to do with how we failed to keep the ball. And I know uh, Bradley's already touched on it without any, but when you look at the people that actually keep the ball in that team, it's Ramsdale playing out from the back. It's Erdegaard getting the ball and it's party when he's fit. We didn't have party. Erdegaard had probably the quietest game of his Arsenal of the season, I would say. He just couldn't get on the ball, miscontrolling it, was snapped up by the Newcastle midfield. And Ramsdale, as soon as they played with their three forwards on the balls out in out of the three defenders, Ramsdale was panicking, going long. And I think that projected nerves onto the rest of the team because all of a sudden we get the ball and you don't trust your principles anymore. 
what we've been doing all season. And you that that scare with Ramsdale when he was closed down and you know it went narrowly wide. But I think that there was a real problem where the team deviated from these basics. And I think that it probably didn't help with the second half changes either. They 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 were smacked of desperation. I mean, obviously we were in a desperate position, but going to a 3-5-2 with Martinelli and Saka on the wings and then, you know, Pepe doing whatever Pepe does and having so many str- having so many attacking options just left the game basically as a basketball match and we hadn't controlled the game before that, so there wasn't much chance of us controlling it then either. That seemed bizarre to me while we're on that. When you're a team lacking in energy and I felt as though the only real man ball progression, i.e. someone literally carrying the ball up the field was Tavares... And we looked as though Martinelli coming on that side was, there was something there for us. There was a, at least a, a channel there that we could exploit. Taking Tavares off felt very, I don't know, was it pointed? I'm not, I'm not sure what the word is, but it's, it's kind of, it, fe- it felt, um, it felt like it was, it felt as though he was making a point to Tavares, but I, but I don't understand why he'd do that. Do you see what I mean? I can't think of any other reason he'd take there him off. And, a I, point and there make. was a, and there was a, a shot of Tavares and he looked very, disappointed which I mean I guess you would be but I felt as though it was a weird decision I mean what did you make of that Brad I I, I don't think there was a uh, the, 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 it was the only thing that I can think of it was it was stupid you know there wasn't there wasn't exactly a point to make Tavares had played okay wasn't looking suspect defensively was doing a decent amount of progression listen I don't know how we haven't taught the kid how to release a ball yet but was at least doing the things that we know Nuno Tavares to do and not doing the things that we hope he (laughs) has done before. And I think what it was, was it was panic. Gabriel Martinelli came on and we, we instantly looked better and then we conceded a goal. And then I think, I think Arteta panicked and I think he went, okay, what's a way that this team has kept the ball before Lacazette on the pitch and I, I think it was a, a move of sheer panic and desperation I always and I mean you can is he trying to punish him for that foul throw that leads to the opportunity I think that would be very short-sighted if he was but I I, I just think it, it was a, a move that that reeked of of desperation and fear and that wasn't made in in the basis of any sound logic because we looked good when Martinelli came on the pitch. And I was thinking, okay, this is where Arsenal get going. This is where we get started. And then, okay, we have the little setback. And in my opinion, if Ben White is 100% fit, it's it's not a goal. Because I think he's able to make that recovery run a lot better. I just... I, I, I think as a young manager would, and as a young team has, he panicked. And he went, what can I do to make an impact? I'll get Lacazette dropping into those spaces. And it it killed us completely. We lost the ability to both stretch and then compress the team. We, we lost so much of our width. We lost our incisive running. People, the, people, the spaces were all over the place at that point. You know, we had Martinelli at left back at some points. It, 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 it just was, it was a mistake and a mistake made of, of fear like you would expect from one of the youngest, most inexperienced, inexperienced managers in the league. But that's what we have to know and, ex, ex, and accept, you know. I think I've said it before. 
Like we cannot have our cake and eat it. We cannot champion this team and this manager for all of the achievements that they've had this season for being the youngest and then not expect it sometimes them to make silly, panic-stricken, fear-led mistakes because they don't have yet have the experience to balance the fight or flight response in their head. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I, I, I completely agree with that last point. On, on the Tavares thing, like, that's slightly crystallized something. I mean, was he taking his frustration out on Tavares? I'm very interested in that relationship. I, I, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens this summer because there's a lot of... I think it's done. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how good that relationship is. It just feels very taut. It's a strange one. I feel like the problem is, is everything, there's games, there's games where I really feel like it was won and lost on the pitch, right? I really feel like last game, Arteta not moving Tommy Asso over from the left channel to the right channel when holding had got maybe his second challenge on Son, for me, killed the game. I mean, how, how don't you see that sooner? I don't understand him not telling Holding to get uh, uh, to not be t- so touch tight to a drop El Nani back, whatever that was, killed the game for us, and that was a proper tactical decision from the game that I felt was a was a problem. In this game, I can't help but but sort of keep looking backwards and go. But Ben White is knackered, and he put in an unbelievable performance. But why is he knackered? Because he's having to play every single game because it's a squad building issue. And we come back to that for me personally anyway. And then that brings up for me the the January issue, Ben. And I'm interested in your take on it because from a process side of things, I understand if if you're not going to get the players that you want on the contracts that you want, how many times have we hammered the club for not getting the right players in at the, at the, at the right price and doing stupid deals and getting stuck with players on long contracts or, or giving them out like Cedric, you know, you know, however we, we assess that. I just, I, I mean, how do you assess the idea that we should have done something in January? Because it just, it feels to me a little bit hindsighty. However, would we be in the situation if we hadn't? I think, for me, it's probably a non-starter. Even though, I, I myself was saying in January, like every other Arsenal fan, we look a bit thin here. This is a massive gamble, you know. And then, and then I looked to, I looked a couple of months later at the transfer market and. You know, aside from Vlahovic, who got six goals or something, none of the other strikers have got more than three, I think it is. And that was Morata, who we've been linked with and didn't move in the end. And then you're looking at sort of twos and ones. And it's a case of, if they're not scoring freely already that season, like Isaac, for example, hadn't. I think he's got five goals that season, to date or something. And he wasn't scoring freely at Sociedad, but... Arsenal fans and you know myself included in times of madness were willing to go okay we'll spend 90 million pounds to bring him in in a desperate bid for Champions League football and hope that he immediately hits the ground running and is a significant upturn on what he was doing when he was already settled at Sociedad you know there's and then people say oh but he's better than Nketiah and that you know objectively he may be a better player than Nketiah but the way that we've seen that Arsenal like to play it's not just chuck a player on and hope for the best. It's so technical that I think getting someone in, if you get someone in January, you suddenly put all of the pressure on top four. We wouldn't be sitting here right now and say, oh, well, you know, it was an opportunity missed. We'd be saying that's terrible business or, you know, we've wasted more money. We've given someone a long contract who doesn't deserve it. Now we can say, you know, we gambled and it backfired and we go again in the summer. And we might go for, you know, more streamlined targets. And every move other than Vlahovic was a gamble. 100%. And then we picked a gamble and the gamble was not getting anyone. 
and we lost that gamble. Not every January signing is going to do what Luis Diaz has done for Liverpool. You know, it it was all... Uh, like you say, it's, it's a non-starter in the sense of as soon as that top target went, a player who was, you know, felt perfect for our system, maybe we could have had other targets available, but it's January, a window no- notoriously difficult to get deals done. And if you are Kulisevsky and you're, you're mainly playing on the right wing and you're going, I'm going to go to a team who's had their right winger embedded into their team and system for two years who I'm rarely going to start over and maybe I'll grab some minutes at centre forward or are you going to go to uh, you know a side that has probably given you assurances that they're going to play you because they've got the Brazilian Dan James on their right wing like it, it, it does become a lot about how in January you can sell players involvement and I don't think that we had the ability to do that on a short-term basis And that's why there was no point making any moves in January because no one was available that we really wanted at a price that was appropriate. And then none of these, there was no, I mean, we were, we probably were trying to get Morata on loan, you know, because it was, it was out there in the press and it just didn't come off. Sometimes that happens. Same, same with Arthur, you know, there there were players that you could, you could see what the plan was, which was a short term option that wouldn't hinder the summer business. You know, if he does well, you sign him permanently, like with Erdegaard. But it's clear that the club took, as you say, the gamble to gamble on not signing anybody and keep the powder dry for when I suppose is a bit it's a bit more malleable in the summer transfer window, you know. You can wait two months for Erdegaard to decide that he's leaving Real Madrid and then yeah. sign him. I also You're think that sort of thing. Sorry, I also think that that's why we saw a shitload of players go out on loan in January. Because FFP-wise, we'll have opened up a lot of space when it comes to wages, when it comes to things like that, that, you know, uh, Pablo Mari probably would have come in handy come to the end of the season and all of our centre-backs are dropping like flies. But getting him out on loan and saving a couple of million pounds, whilst it doesn't seem like a lot in the grand scheme of things, opening up a little bit of extra room on FFP and and things like that and sending him out to a club where one of our, you know, apparent right-back targets are, and him doing well there is smart business for the club. If you're not going to guarantee yourself Champions League football by signing players and therefore getting the extra money and the extra kind of ability to spend money that way, Arsenal have seemingly made the decision to save themselves money another way so that they can still spend an awful lot of money. Come the summer, if we get rid of all of the players that I assume that we're going to get rid of, our wage bill will be something, I I sent this to Alex, will be something like 1.78 million pounds lighter since the start of last season. That's unbelievable turnover. Like, that's a massive amount of space. Here's the thing with January. I, it's a very strong move not to bring anyone in. It's a very strong move. It's a strong choice because they're, they, they, they must have considered that this outcome was one of the possible outcomes. There's, there's whole teams that model financially and prospect and do all sorts of stuff that what happens in various scenarios. And we've heard that, you know, Arteta and Edu talking about we have various plans for Conference League football, for Europa League football, you know, journalists talking about that sort of stuff and then saying we have various uh, options for different outcomes. So they made that choice, which is a very strong choice because it's very easy now to go, 
a certain you know certain fans going well we didn't get anyone in january that's why we didn't get top four and there's for me there's good process and arteta's process and i think mostly arteta's process is good process and what i mean by good process is contract management not panicking not getting anyone in on stupid contracts so january could have been part of good process but my issue with january was I believe in good process and I mostly believe in Arteta's process, though I think he's made mistakes. I truly believe that long-term planning is the way to go. The issue is now I begin to look around and I look at Spurs who are going to get Champions League and they're going to keep Conte and they're going to get stronger. I look at United who've got a proper coach in. Now that depends structurally. And Ben, we've got, we've got hours of content on Man United, but basically overall is that you know they have to give have to give someone time right they have to give one person a strategy one person the keys to to the car and let them go with it in the way that Klopp has done Guardiola's done etc etc otherwise they'll get nowhere but it sounds as though from the from the rumors we hear Ten Hag is going to get that time Chelsea who knows what's going to happen but Liverpool and City aren't going anywhere and also we've got Newcastle coming Newcastle are going to have a massive window and they're going to be coming up for probably Europa League spots. And they're going to, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe they even push for top four. I have no idea how, what they're going to do. They're an un- unknown quantity. So I begin to look around and I begin to think in that prospecting and that modelling in January, was there a conversation about next season, how difficult top four is going to be? And that's my concern because I believe in good process. I mostly believe in Arteta's process, but I wonder whether January was a missed opportunity because of the situation that we find ourselves in. I mean, Ben, what what what's your take on that? No, I, I completely understand that and I, I share most of your frustrations. It's just that I think that a lot of Arsenal fans are looking for a player on the transfer market that doesn't exist in January or players that don't exist in January. I think the obvious one that you could point to a missed opportunity is Bruno Gimraj, who, you know, stuck the final nail in the coffin tonight. But um, he, he was brilliant. Sorry, but of Absolutely course, brilliant. of course it was Gimraj. Only football can provide these narratives. Fuck's sake. We're going, going into the game, there were so many narratives. It was, you know, will Joe Willock score, will Gimraj score, will Trippier score, will Callum Wilson score after, you know, put, saying he put money on himself scoring tonight. There's... The ability for football to fulfill narratives is incredible. And the fans' ability to find narratives for it to fulfill is equally good. Um, but yeah, I think I think Gimaraj was maybe a missed opportunity. But then you look at, you know, longer term planning. Where does Arteta want to take his midfield? Is he is he the right player that you want? But yeah, he based on his performances from Leon, he is a missed opportunity. But then beyond that, you're looking, I remember that we were... We were quoted like seventy million for Raúl de Tomás. Uh, I don't even know where he is. Deportivo, maybe. Towards the end of the January transfer, when you sort of think, well, he's twenty-seven, Se- seventy million yeah, for him. It's crazy. It's crazy. When you could get, I don't know, Calvert Lewin for forty and Jesus for fifty or whatever in the summer. It just sort of puts into perspective that Arsenal weren't willing to trolley dash down, you know, the reduced style in the January transfer window and end up home and realise they've bought a load of crap that they're now stuck with. We also have to consider the fact that that conversation might have happened about Champions League football and Champions League football being more difficult next season. So why are you going to commit yourself to Champions League level wages in January? 
Why are you going to fuck yourself? If you, if you don't think in the long term, especially next season, if you think next season, Ooh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a 50, 50. We might not get it. You don't overstretch yourself too quickly. Yeah. Because you're leaving yourself then in a situation where you, you, like we had when we had about, you know, ridiculous wages on Skodran Mustafi and, and Socrates Papastathopoulos trying to push us over that line. You you create further problems for the future. Yeah. I, I, I really, I think doing something stupid like that in January is, is a Man United move. That's what that club would do in that situation. And I really rate that Arsenal appear to be you know because i mean imagine how many you know talk sport and sky conversation you know even gary neville at halftime was saying arsenal gonna win the match and at the end of the match he's saying something completely he's saying oh arsenal i knew they were going to bottle it etc etc i mean narratives will form and that is very frustrating but i think some clubs buckle under that as we used to i think and some clubs really adhere to that and really i think get sort of shifted around by that as 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 we've alluded to but I like the idea that Arsenal are kind of stoic and are going, no, no, we have our principles, we're, we have a plan, we're going to stick to that. And, and actually, I think that sticks into the values that, you know, as Arsenal fans, I hope you guys connect with as well. The idea of, you know, doing right by people. Pablo Mari, was it the best footballing decision to say, Pablo Mari, go out on loan? Probably not. But was it a good decision for that guy who wasn't playing and was basically our fifth choice centre-back who wouldn't get in over Tomiyasu? So... Probably not. So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, we do right, but, and I believe we have the right plan. I just guess my frustration is that we don't know how it might have played out in another scenario and we don't know how much it might have accelerated the project because we know so little. I mean, ultimately, you know, what is a podcast? What is people writing? What is people saying anything about football? It's a, knowing about 3% of what happens a football uh, you know a football club we we're doing guesswork we don't know what the conversations were we don't know what the um the 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 planning was so for them to accept that maybe this would have happened that must mean must mean something it must mean something and i hope that uh there's a summer coming up where we do a you know a similar thing to last year and as i've said i uh, quite a few times on this podcast i've trust the talent idea at the club now I trust the recruitment strategy at the club now, so I feel a lot more optimistic about the summer. But that old problem, I don't know whether we then have, you know, for example, the Saka contract now becomes a, an issue. You know, there may be parts of this project that could have been accelerated and could have really taken us somewhere that are now in question. So it just creates more doubt. And and that's the eternal question. We will never know whether <laughs> uh, improving in January would have would have helped us. But... That's football. That's football. Right. Uh, the game a bit more um, specifically. I mean, if we want, if we want to look back at it, a couple of couple of incidents I'm looking at though. The um, the incident Mketia on Shah. I want to get your boys' take on it because it looked nasty, but I couldn't quite understand why it was a yellow woman. It, 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 it was solely a yellow card because. Shah then went down and needed treatment. If it's if Shah gets back up, that's a foul and nothing is is a case of I don't even think it's a foul. stroke, wasn't it? Um for Leeds against Liverpool and Harvey Elliott when he broke his ankle and Strout got sent off for that because Elliott broke his ankle. It is a case of the consequence means that the referee feels that he needs to react in a certain way and produce the card because otherwise he'd, you know, he's worried he's letting it go, I guess. But it, it, there was nothing in it for a yellow card. 
And the injury comes from him hitting his head on the floor more than anything and the way that he falls. I don't think, I don't, I'd, I'd even argue it's probably not a foul. It's a 50-50. And then I think Enketia come, doesn't he win the ball? The problem uh, is, I, we, I don't we understand. Didn't, we didn't see a replay and I didn't know whether that was Sky not wanting to show a kind of horrific injury or, or for whatever reason, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist that they didn't want to show it because it wasn't a foul or whatever, but I wonder why they didn't show it, but then it didn't provide much clarity on what actually happened. So it was just a bit of a weird situation. I mean, referees, we can get into a whole conversation about referees this year. I mean, I have again, I thought uh, he had a good, a good performance other than that tonight. And the fact he didn't book Joe Linton for six fouls, I counted. Yeah. And there was a moment where that's the only thing that you could have, you could have pulled up. Joe Linton was like, like kicking balls away and stuff at some point, which that stuff, like someone doing a genuinely someone doing a cynical foul. I rate more. And I would, if I, I hope if I was a referee, I'd understand more than people kicking balls away and like holding onto balls. when it's a throw in that stuff really pisses me off. I'd be getting cards out left, right and center. I'd be like, fuck off. So annoying. Cause it just slows the game down. It's, do you know what's the mate? It's, this is honestly, it's also the biggest irony in the world. It's when people complain that goalkeepers don't release the ball quick enough. Oh yeah. And then, when they catch it from a corner and try and release it quick, just stand in front they of will shoulder barge them. And, or no, they won't even stand in front of them. They will literally barge into them yeah. to stop them from doing it. That has to, that has to start being like instant yellow cards next season yeah. because it's, it's, it's just another way to stop certain brands of football. If you're, if you're building a philosophy on counter-attacking football. Yeah. Speaking of yellows, I have a theory for you lads. The United game, the 3-2, we were in the yellow kit. The Crystal Palace game, (laughs) 3-0, we were in the piss yellow kit. The Liverpool game, the 4-0, we were in the piss yellow kit. And tonight. So I'm just saying we could just blame the kit and have done with it. It is a shit kit, to be fair. Piss poor performance in piss yellow. There's the title. Uh... There's your title. title. We had it off you last time, mate. You said something about fast fashion with football. I loved it. Um, Interested in Arteta's move at the beginning of the second half because it was, I think it was six minutes into the second half, Martinelli came on. I'm interested in what that was about because like, clearly it wasn't working whatever he'd said at half time. I don't think it was that. Why would you make it six minutes in? Go on. I think it was saving narratives around Emile Smith-Rowe. How many narratives and conversations and tweets have we seen about Nuna Tavares being hooked at half time, being hooked at 35 minutes? Smith Rowe did not have his best game in an Arsenal shirt, but is obviously a player that we want fit, firing and moving forward with, with this project. Allowing him to come out for the second half and take him, taking him off six, seven, eight minutes in, whatever it was, kind of just slows that conversation down a bit and it becomes less obvious to the the cretins and bozos on Twitter who love to latch onto anything and create, you know, and then harp on a bunch. I, I feel like that just, was just a, at me, Brad. Just okay. At me. Come on. This is a, no, no, no. Is in, it's just, a, it's player protection rather than, than anything tactical for me, because I think that was a decision that we knew was going to happen, but hooking someone at half time can be a signal of something. And I think that we didn't want it to be a signal of something tonight. I, I, I feel like it's 
a bit almost like you know how uh, coaches always say oh, you've got until the hour mark you know you, you see most changes happen around between like 58 and 63 minutes or whatever the first change I do just feel like Arteta might have said yeah show me something different and then I don't know maybe I, I, I think Smith Rowe is probably carrying a knock based on his lack of minutes recently and his lack of energy recently like his his performance of re- his performances have really dove, like tailed off since yeah. maybe february um it just it seems it seems to me like half this team is like playing through injuries because well going back to the whole depth thing we don't have the quality depth and it's sort of like well you can play through that you can play through that like today half our team was playing through injuries and ben like it's i, I did i did a bit of research into this and i spoke to alex about this and this is this is honestly mental. If I asked you how many games this season Arsenal have lined up with an eleven that's consisted of Ramsdale in net, Tommy Asu, White, Gabriel, Tierney, um, and then in this, and then you're talking Party, Xhaka, um, Erdegaard, Saka, Smith Rowe, and then any of the strikers or Gabriel, Gabby on the left hand side or Pepe on the right hand side because he's worth seventy two million quid. How many games do you think we've actually lined up with that? Uh, not many single figures I would say it's nine we have lined up with a preferable lineup in nine matches out of 38 this season like that that's fucking mental yeah that it's it's we're not even in double figures where we've been able to put 11 players on the pitch that we would want on the pitch and at the top sides that just doesn't happen that just doesn't happen well, it doesn't get noticed though either because you can rotate more easily. I mean, aside from Van Dyke, Trent, and Salah, you know, you can rotate Jota, Salah, Firmino, uh, Jota, Mane, Firmino, Thiago, you know, Fabinho, Keita, all that. You can rotate those options. And even if you make one tweak a game, that's fine. But it's where we're losing building bricks of the team that are fundamental, like Tommy Assey, Party, Tierney. Yeah. And that's, that's what I mean. It, you know, the quality drop-off isn't as big. And, and and this is my big problem around signing backups, which is just my biggest hate of like, we should we should sign backups. It's like, no, layer on top, constantly layer on top. You know, if, if with Tierney, sign a new first-choice left-back in the summer and let them battle it out. For me, personally, that, you know, that's what I do if we have the funds available or whatever it is. For me, I'm always, I'm always about layering on top because that's what the top teams do. And if we want to be competing with them, we have to act like them. Um, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I... There's got to be, uh, considering the result tonight, there will be only hardcore listeners here. So maybe, maybe I could say this. There's a conversation around Smith Rowe. I'm just going to say that, that I, I wonder whether his kind of savior role last season made us feel a lot more. um, And I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he's a bad player at all. He's a good player, but giving him the 10, the chant and stuff he's kind of put in the he's put in the realm of Saka the kind of Saka and Smith Rowe together I just think he's a class below I have I'm not I'm just not convinced by Smith Rowe and and maybe people will come out and shoot me for that but I I just I I've never watched a game and thought anything other than oh Smith Rowe's done well rather than oh my god Smith Rowe has run this game changed this game this kid's going to be a star um good player good player he's only 18 months into playing for us though yeah, no, you know, Saka could be that. Been Who knows? A mainstay for longer. Yeah, Saka's definitely an anomaly rather than a rule. You know, like Saka is a once in a generation youth talent that comes yeah. out of most 
Like, if he comes out of your academy, you're talking about him for 30 years. Yes. Most yeah, years. Yeah, oh, 100%. He's, he's um, in the Cole Fabregas conversations. Yeah. Smith Rowe is, I suppose, having what you'd call a normal professional career yeah. at an early stage. Yeah. He's not Foden, he's not Saka. He's yeah. just, he's good and sometimes he's bad, but that's because he's young and, you know, he's got a lot to learn still. But I think a lot of the raw technical traits are there for what Arteta wants from him. And I think he will, I think he's been poor the last four months maybe, but I think he's definitely got a lot of the traits that will make him a very good player if he can stay injury free and, you know, develop as you hope someone at his age will be able to do. I think you're, I think you're right. And again, as I'm saying, he's, he's not a bad player. He gives you so many options on the interior and the exterior. He's got all the technique. There's no, there's no problem with the fundamentals. And I think also think, we might hear, for example, in the summer, Smith Rowe's gone under an operation and will be out for eight weeks. Kind of, I would be surprised if there was something that's been holding him back. Um, but I just, maybe it's that thing that he, because he came through as that kind of savior on Boxing Day, has been put in the conversation with Saka. Maybe in my brain, it's become he's in that class, and as you say, he's just having a normal young player's career of just like you know being a bit inconsistent, which is which is absolutely fair enough. Um, and yeah, Brad, on I think we're talking a little bit about you know knocks and injuries and stuff, and then it always brings me back to the squad building. This this game keeps bringing me back to the squad building. It annoys me that you know in in a lot of analysis there doesn't feel like a much of a focus on the game in terms of you know the individual moments of the patterns that are forming or the build up in a three or a two whatever that has so much of an impact. But in this game, it just feels so much like we're t- we're going to return to the squad building because that's what needs to be fixed this summer and. And and I hope and think we will. Um, I just wanted to highlight a moment. Did you all see when St. Maximin tried to put it through Cedric's legs? When he did a little scoop yes. turn? Oh, so good. I fucking yes. love him. He's like a sort of throwback YouTube compilation player. Like, he's so good. He will be the next Adelta Wrapped. Streets won't forget when... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, streets won't forget the Gucci headband. He's he's the one player in that team that you worry when he gets the ball that he's going to make some people look very silly, yeah. but are also pretty safe in the knowledge that he probably won't do anything with the ball nine times yeah. out of ten. Yeah, he'll progress it, but he will do nothing at the end of it. Absolutely nothing. He's the Theo Walcott of Gucci headbands. Um, also enjoyed Lacazette, you know, when he's, um, he had the little uh, headband thing on. I did really enjoy this tweet from Paddy Arsenal. You might have seen it. Who said, <laughs> the jam is bursting out of Lacazette's head from his pre-match donut, which just, which just was too good. I don't, I don't understand Lacazette. He came on with us needing a goal and it just almost highlighted more how good Eddie and Ketchy yeah. has been because I watched the first thing was a ball from Ramsdale that Lacazette doesn't get off the yeah. ground for. And I've been watching, I've been watching Ketia jump, you know, yeah. significantly for sixty minutes, winning the first ball. Like it just doesn't get off the ground, and it's a bit like, well, why do you bother coming on? You know those stories about Ronaldo training at Carrington, where he had weights on his feet. That's how Lacazette plays. It, he plays like he's got weights around his around his ankles. It is, it's, just, it's all like a parachute on his back. I can't get that image of him in the Europa League through on goal and just, oh my god, yeah. But I, I bet again, these are the conversations. I think eventually he will go at some point, surely, and hopefully his contract is uh, is up. Um, goals, there's not much to talk about, really. I, I felt 
Cedric got slightly caught out of position, but to be fair, it was actually El Nenny slotting in for him. So, and we know Cedric isn't. You know, it's not. It's not new information that Cedric gets caught out, out of um, out of position. I felt as though the goal. M- we might... need to not be conceding a fucking goal from a foul throw of our own as well. Yeah, yeah Christ it, alive! How 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 are we committing uh, foul throws me. in 2022? How it it, it baffles me that. You, I, I don't recall seeing foul throws that often this season, but then they will keep going back to, oh, it was a foul throw. And I'm sure there have been loads yeah. of foul throws, but because that individual foul throw has been gone straight to a goal, it feels a bit like it's so pointed. Yes. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Well, the ref was going to let it go, I think. Like the commentators afterwards are like, oh. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the ref was going to let it go, it, but then he it pulled it back. Me. But I think the the I think Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall were basically like, no, that was a foul throw. That's the only reason it, it was actually pulled back. So I, I think they do... It's a bit of a weird one where they sometimes get pulled back and sometimes don't. I, I guess it depends on if you if you get an advantage maybe from a foul throw. Do you remember Bellerin used to do them all the time in like behind closed doors? I remember like there was a stat that yeah yeah there was there was a stat that sixteen foul throws were made in the first half of the nineteen twenty season and Bellerin had committed five of them. Fucking hell! There was another stat this evening. Which I do was, miss Heckin. <laughs> I do. He's a handsome bloke. That little moustache needs to go. I've got a lot uh, of love for Hecky. When conceding first away from home, now it's seven games, seven losses this season, which that's a young team. Again, I don't think that leads back. I also I also don't think there's too much to be made of that. I would be really interested in finding out other team statistics yeah, for that. You. Conceding away from home and overturning that is always difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh final goal. Bruno Gimarish, I mean, of course, um, we were getting absolutely done, to be honest. There was a few before. There was a 2v1 where, where Ben White did really well, uh, where Pepe gave it away. And we're very lucky that Jacob Murphy is one of the worst Premier League football players I've ever seen. Um, yeah, we were getting completely dominated. <sighs> That's basically all you can say. It's like we had a back three of Cedric, a half-fit half Ben White and Granit Xhaka. I mean, what did we expect? What do we expect? Okay, final final debate point. Is Nicola Pepe Arsenal's worst ever signing? Yes. I think he's up there. He has he's dropped there, some but... one out of tens this season coming on the be- off the bench. Some oh god, proper yeah. one out of tens. Also, you get but it's a bit it's a bit Eddie and Ketty, isn't it? You give a guy six minutes and ten minutes. You, you, I, and also, we don't play a style of football that in any way suits him. I don't think you can get much worse than signing a player with a broken back. So I'm going to have to stick Kim Kallstrom up there. <laughs> but I'd, I'd say that the, you're not just talking about, is the player the worst player to wear an Arsenal shirt? You're saying, signing. is the fee yeah. that yeah, Arsenal showed out yeah. for him the worst piece of business that Arsenal have done? Buying a player that fundamentally did not fit even the system we were trying to play and then keeping him, you know, I'm sure we've been trying to offload him, yeah. but I, you can see almost like, you know, a football manager where you put a short list of player with two years left and they're like, we want 40. And then 12 months later, it's like, yeah, we'll take 20. Yeah. You know, it's going to be like that. And he'll yeah. go for 15, 20 million. But 72 million on a player that has probably given us a handful of memorable moments. And for the last, I think he played something like 180 minutes since that, Palace draw in October. Um, 
and then you know he he doesn't look like he control can control a football anymore. Yep, and that's like, I don't understand. He's I think his physically regressed. I think his confidence is shot as well. But it's you're a professional footballer, but like just... it, a ball. I understand maybe you know functionally confidence. You know you feel like you're in your flow. I get that. But a ball bouncing off you consistently, not making the runs, not looking interested. That's not to me. That's non-negotiable. And you know, I think I think if you're looking at the value of the transfer, you're looking at the timing, the amount oh, yeah. of game game time he's had, the you know the the contributions he's made. If you take every metric you can in terms of signing, I really think he might be top in the modern era. I, th- I think he is. But then you look back and say, who knows? But oh, fucking hell, he is not good, mate. On, on the flip side, would do you think he'd be playing if Saka hadn't come through the way he had? No, Saka has effectively killed any chance Pepe had of resurrecting his career at Arsenal, which, after a sort of mixed first season, was looking up. Like, even last season, at at times, his performances were looking up, and then Saka is such a cornerstone of Mikel Arteta's footballing philosophy, and as you say, he's made that brilliant, like, partnership with Erdegaard that Pepe's not had a sniff. It's the lack of Europe as well. Yeah, it, it hasn't helped. He's not been helped. Like you, you, you look at him and go, well, I, I can, take. I can feel sorry for him." But also, at the end of the day, he's a twenty-four-year-old that we signed for seventy-two million, and obviously, he's nothing. He's got nothing to do with the price tag, but he is going to go down as one of Arsenal's worst ever signings yeah. in a time when Emery publicly said he didn't want him. He wanted Zaha. You know, all those players we were linked with fundamentally were better than him. We were linked with Zaha and Kunku. Oh. <laughs> we were linked with so many attackers that ended up with Pepe. Mate. And then, Kunku. you know, it's it has just... I think it's also a cautionary tale that hopefully we'll have learned from of keeping around a player we won't, that obviously <laughs> knows... Yeah, no, God, no. But keeping around a player that we that obviously knows he's leaving and that obviously doesn't want to be here, and then expecting to be able to bring him on with 20 minutes to go and have him do something. Because that just does not create the right balance. You don't want to be bringing on your squad options as of players that just don't give a fuck. They don't have a dog in the fight. Enketia has a dog in the fight. He wants to earn himself a better contract somewhere else. Like, what? why does Pepe care? So the same about Lacazette. Lacazette doesn't have a, doesn't have a fight. He, he's... The Leon president's publicly come out and said, you know, we'll compromise if we have to to get him back. He's got a cushy three-year contract in his former club where he did quite well, waiting for him if he wants it, yep. you know. Enketi is the only one where you look at him and go, you've actually got something to the benefits you if you score six goals in the next four games, yep. which he has done, you know. Yeah, and I think we also make the mistake as fans of thinking everyone would play like we would play. It's like, Nick for Nicola Pepe, I'm on an unbelievable contract. I don't have to really try that hard. I'll wait until that feels unsustainable or the club are basically saying you can't be anymore. Go to Sevilla, get another decent contract, you know, and and, fa- and if fair enough, you know, like, you know, who are we to, to judge? But then we are the the losers in that situation. And Ben, to, to your point, yeah, I wonder, I wonder how things would have played out had Saka not come through. But equally, Saka only shifted to that side, I think, because of Pepe's inefficiencies. I think at some point Saka might have stayed on the left for, for maybe a bit longer. I think it would always come to the right, but I think he moved early because of because of Pepe. So I wonder, you know, it's a kind of symbiosis there for me anyway. Ah, oh, boys. Well, th- this has made me feel a little bit better. Anything else on the game before we go to news and views? 
nothing from me. Let's, let's get let's, um, let's get rid. I I, I, I want to shout out the Arsenal away fans that yeah. went up to Newcastle. Yep, they should be reimbursed hour, by the trip. club. They should be reimbursed by the club for that because I they don't think there was in enough effort. The, in the absolute gods, in what was an absolute cauldron as well at St James's Park. Don't know what it is at the moment, um, but you know, tifos, walkout music, full work seem to be coming out when when we're playing teams now. Yeah, it's a bit weird, but um, yeah, they were they made decent noise the whole game, um, and they didn't deserve to see what they saw. No. Quite frankly, no, they didn't. You're, you're totally right. Yeah, and <laughs> one free drink ain't gonna cut it. One free drink. <laughs> Uh, right, we'll see you, Brad. After this. News and views. Welcome back to News and Views, where we give you all the news and all your views, but mostly ours. Just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe, turn on notifications, leave us a review, and please support us on Patreon. We can access to ad-free versions of the post-game podcast, the preview podcast, and TDK Shorts for just £3 a month. Can you believe that, Ben? £3 a month. Bloody hell. And for one-time support, head to buymeacoffee.com where you can... Brad, get off Twitter. Buy me a coffee. Anything you can give, monthly or one-off, helps the podcast. The links are in the show description. We've had some questions in, boys. We've had some questions in. Uh, Firstly, Octoguna has handing it says he's going to hand me a three-point deduction for the word of the game score which i'm fuming about for playing the champions league theme he's already absolutely diddling me in the uh in the rankings what am i two behind now i can't i can't win this season no fuming the best you can hope for is a draw and if he goes through with this points deduction you've you've fucked it mate Uh, yeah octo holds his uh my life in his hands Jamesy at James Allison says, would it be easier to take losing out on top four if inept slash biased refereeing hadn't cost us at least six points over the season? That and injuries to key players has ultimately derailed us when it mattered most. I think it's a number of things. Injuries. I also think there has been some terrible refereeing. The part that I feel most angry about is like the games against Everton and the game against Burnley. Those are the yeah. games that I'm like, fuck's sake. And that's why they hurt, because we knew come the end of the season that this, if we were in this situation, it would cause us, it would cause us, it would come back to bite us. I mean, Ben, what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we obviously have a very uh, narrow lens when it comes to refereeing and that most Arsenal fans will watch maybe, I don't know, the Arsenal game and then go on to Arsenal Twitter and the same images that we're circulating. I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people that buys into conspiracy theories about referees, but the referee, the level of refereeing across the entire top of the Premier League is shocking. It's honestly, the referees are awful and VAR seems to cause more problems than it does help. It's sort of like, you see from week to week, you see decisions that are overturned versus decisions that aren't overturned. And then you look at other decisions where you go, well, why wasn't that overturned? And there's not enough transparency over why things are done. And then some sometimes they come out like for, for Everton, when Rodri handballed it and Everton weren't giving a penalty yet, they came out with a, they came out with an apology. They I understand the the thought behind it, but if Everton go down, they're not gonna be able to go, Oh, we've got this apology to redeem for a point. Do you mind if we stay up? Yep. Like it doesn't work like that. The referees, they 
the level of football has increased to such a degree that the referees need to improve with it, and they haven't. Yep, I'll just anticipate what Brad's about to say. When Bournemouth went down because of the the um, the goal line technology system and goal and, line tech, yeah, yep. nothing um, happened. There was just nothing. It was just like, well, sorry. It's like, what are you on about? It's genuinely horrific, and and I I do feel it's as the same though, with Burnley, end, mate. Burnley I, could. I do feel as though in the end everyone loses from the refereeing. I think I, over a, over the course of the season, I do think there's a perception of Arsenal that we have, for example, the foul counter. I think it's like 70 fouls per red for Burnley's 900 or something. There is definitely that perception that that, that goes against us. But I think over the season, uh, everyone loses out at some point. But I also feel, you know, the referees, it's the same like 12 bold white guys from three areas in England. We've got a Manchester. We've got a, yeah. Well, fucking hell, they're all Ipswich fans. We've got to diversify. We've got to, but but ultimately, the culture of football is so. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a referee. Would any of you boys? Like, absolutely not. Can you imagine that? It's a horrible job. So we've, we're in a real, we're in a real bind there. It's a vicious circle because referees get abuse because they're shit, and then hide behind the PGMOL and continue to be shit. So but then they're shit because they get, get abuse. Pelters. Because because why would you want to do that? You won't don't get you don't get high quality people because they get so much yeah. abuse. This is a cycle. It, it it does become this this cycle. But I mean, something obviously have to has to change. I don't think. I listen. I don't buy into the whole. Uh, they're they're rewarding penalties because they want the league to finish a certain way or whatever. I just think that some of them are really fucking shit at their job. And we need to improve that. It's like anything. You need to improve the talent pool uh, at certain places because you end up in these kind of situations where certain decisions over the course of a season that if they'd gone the other way would have, you know, could have got us Champions League football. Or you look at Burnley's situation. They've lost a point that they should have had against Spurs for a penalty that shouldn't be a penalty. And they're now in a they're now in the relegation zone, and if they lose their next three games, they're gone. And that's that's a point that they should have. And then you're talking about the fact that okay, in two of the last three seasons, a team has been relegated off of the basis of which they've been refereed. That is a major problem because it will not be long before clubs start to file lawsuits and yep. sue the Premier League. Yeah, because worse, it's worse still is that. The, refer- the referees are bad enough, but what you've actually got is a video that's being operated by another referee. So it's sort of refereeception where it's very rare for them to overturn decisions. I mean, I don't, it's probably not tribalism, but it is a bit of like, you know, I can see where he's coming from. That probably, you know, I probably wouldn't have given that blah, blah, blah. Yep. But where in actual fact, the black and white of the rules aren't always followed. And you'll look at it and then... You've got Peter Walton every week spouting out a different reason why something doesn't happen until it does. And then he says he was totally justified and understands why they're like, I understand that refereeing is complex and, you know, there's massive nuance to it. It's just that it's so inconsistent and so poorly communicated that it just becomes this like just wedge in between fan bases and across football. And you have to talk about it all the time. Yeah, and they're a little cabal. Oh my god, I didn't realise how much I needed to get all that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, mate. They're a little cabal. I mean, honestly, you know, I think your your point about VAR is spot on because they don't want to undermine the referee. It's like so everyone has he only has one view. You know, he can 
referee the game to a point where, you know, he can hand out little ye- yellows and speak to players and, you know, manage the time and all that sort of stuff and speak to the lines. But that's the referee's job. He can't see everything. He literally can't. There was a moment this evening where Almiron got a foul and what he did, he dived. And we saw that on camera. And I'm like, we know he dived. So why is the free kick happening? It could just be quick word. Oh, by the way, that was a dive. Okay, sure. Turn around. And then second, second point I was just going to make was that referees need to start refereeing the game that they were in. I know I've said this to you a couple of times, Brad, but uh, you know, Ben, what happens is refereeing decisions start deciding games and that should be the last possible thing that happens. The players should decide what happens in the games. That's what it should be. The football should decide it. Who is the better football team? Because you get entertainment, you get a, uh, a spectacle. I'm not saying, you know, put it in, for example, in the last game, Rob Holding was a red. It was a red. It was it was it was probably more than a yellow earlier than he got it, and it was and it was a shoulder barge. So that stuff, yeah, fine. The Cedric moment, it's so tenuous that it's like l- let that go. It's a it's a derby. It's going to be fiery. There's a moment with Kulisevsky earlier on where he could get yellow, and I'd say leave it, leave it because it, it's it's a derby. It's going to high emotions, a lot on the line. You've got to referee the game you're actually in. So there's there's so many issues with it. I, I don't realize how much I had to get off my chest. Though <laughs> your turn, Brad. No, but then, then that's it's just it's just made me angry because I've remembered that Gabriel Jesus won against West Ham. Oh yeah, Zuma just clears him out six yards out, and the referee doesn't give a penalty, and VR goes, "Yeah, that's fine." And then, obviously, you're talking hypotheticals, but you get the first goal in the London Stadium or wherever they are. That makes a massive difference. All of a sudden, you don't have to push so high for the first goal. You don't get caught in the counter attack, via you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just a case of they are fundamentally affecting the football that is played. And that, as you say, that just shouldn't be the way that it works. Everton as well. Everton as well. A red card literally happens because VAR doesn't give a penalty for, you know, um, I don't know what Brentford player it it is, but he's pulling Richarlison's shirt basically back to London with how far away from his body it is. It's, you know, there and the fact that there are consistent moments in consistent games that that at the highest ebbs and the lowest ebbs that could either listen, costing Manchester Man City the title isn't the issue. Whilst it would suck for sporting integrity, the fact that Everton could go down because they've gotten a red card that's lost them a game that they probably would have won otherwise because they were battering Brentford, and the same with Burnley draw uh, losing a game that they should have drawn relegation can 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 ruin a team's future for 10 to 15 to 20 years and the fact that this is being decided on the basis of some random white dude who for years we have been screaming about how inept these people are and bad at their job they are and the fact that this is is still the narrative and the conversation that we're having is just it isn't acceptable anymore and clubs won't they won't accept it they will start suing the premier league especially if they go down wrongfully because luckily bournemouth got that got their head on straight they got a good manager and they look like they're coming back up well they are coming back up burnley for example they might be down for the next 10 to 12 years that ruins the economic system and state of burnley the whole you know, place as in burnley will make that is more all money it is. no but is in is in so my mate, my mate who's a what who lives in Watford says you can see and tell the difference in the infrastructure of Watford 
when they're in the Premier League versus when they're in the Championship because it brings more tourism. It brings more. It brings so much money into a town as small as Burnley, as small as Watford. It doesn't matter for Arsenal. It doesn't matter for if you're at the upper ends of the Premier League. Relegating clubs on the basis of shitty decisions can can fuck up people's livelihoods yeah. and a whole town's fortunes. And it, it, I, I, no, I can't believe how much I needed to get off my chest on this. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like three of us now. <laughs> <laughs> but something massive needs to happen. Something massive. Yep. 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 Uh, last question, because we are we are running over. Um, we've had a question in from... Why is that not shifting? Hang on one second. A, sh- a question in... Come on, let's do it. Octo Guna, he's, he's, he's done the uh, the word of the game. He gets, his, he gets his say here. Is it the mentality... These boys crumble at the prospect of Champions League, something that most of them have never played. Ben White, Ramsdale, Saka, Martinelli, and so on. Is it the mentality? It's the inexperience. It's the inexperience. When you when 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 those players looked around this evening, when Bakaya Saka turned to his left on that right hand channel, who does he see? Hamad El Nenny? Granite Xhaka? You know, the only the only you know, if we had, you know, Thomas Partey in there, at least that's someone who's who's sort of been there in those competitions, been in those high leverage moments before. You know, I, I think a certain element of this is that this is a young team who are who are learning and who are going to go through these awful moments to then build that character. But it's like expecting fucking Leo Messo to come on and just because he can dribble a few people in under nines training. It's like you have to give people time. And these guys haven't had time. And we're we're going through and the hardship. growing pains. We're going through the growing pains. Because this harps back to Liverpool Europa League final losing to Sevilla for me. Losing those moments creates a mentality and creates an experience. You you then learn how to you then learn how to manage moments and, and deal with moments. You know, it's, it's City City didn't win the first few titles or trophies that they were challenging for. No one ever does because you have to get a group of players to get used to that environment and used to that pressure. This is the first time Aaron Ramsdale hasn't been in a relegation battle in the Premier League, but he's fighting for Champions League football. Ben White, you know, played a good season with Brighton, but was in, in nowhere near the pressure land come the end of the season of we could qualify for Europe's premier competition. The whole of Bukayo Saka's Arsenal career, the whole of Mart- Mart- the whole Arsenal career for most of these players, none of these players have ever been anywhere near this type of pressure. And that it's it's not a mentality issue. It's a learning curve. You can only learn to deal with something whilst you're dealing with and after you've dealt with it. Hmm. Yep. So I think Leo Messo... It's quite telling. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But I think, I think it's quite telling that Xhaka came out to do the post-match interview, which in itself is a nice change from... Remember when we went on that losing streak and they used to send out like Joe Willock oh and God, yeah. any young kid who'd had sort of a, a half decent game, yeah. but all the, you know, Bamiang and Lacazette were in the changing rooms just doing whatever. But Jacques came out and he said, you know, if you don't listen, <laughs> he said, the genuine, it's quite interesting because he said, you know, if you don't listen to the coach and you do your own stuff, it doesn't work. And then he basically slammed some of the team. He was just like, he was just like you know, if you didn't want to play, just sort of stayed at home. It's quite. He, he has somehow become. <laughs> he's somehow become the leader of. I mean, he always was, but 
No, I'm serious. It's, I don't. I guess Smith Rowe maybe falls into that category. Um, I guess probably Moa Nenny probably falls into that category. You're talking about players who, I suppose, you're talking about players who fundamentally were weren't able to do what the game plan Aaron suggested Ramsdale. they should be able to do. Ramsdale probably does as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that. Aside from Benoit and Gabriel, both of whom, you know, we weren't sure if they were going to play, that, that accusation can basically be leveled at everybody on the pitch today. Yeah, and Jacker himself, frankly. The only saving grace that I have is Lee Gunner's blood pressure is going to be through the roof, and that makes me feel very happy. Uh, Brad, we've just got time for a little bit of Arsenal trivia. Oh, I got this right last Benjamin. time. I don't want to get it wrong now. You did. I remember this. The theme for this week was Edouard and Ketia. And the question was, in what year did Eddie and Ketia make his debut for Arsenal? In what year did Eddie and Ketia make his debut which, for Arsenal? Any any competitive match. I know which game it was. I know which game it was. It was against Watford. Because he scored twice uh, once in extra time. I've no idea. Because we were one, we were one nil down. I think it was probably. T- uh, he scored was, in like six seconds or something, didn't he? Yeah, he, he scored with his first touch. It's and his then, competitive debut. It, actually, it might not be that game because it could have been a, a European game. But let me just check that. Any guesses on the year? Twenty. I mean, it's going to start with twenty, so that's a good start. Um, I'm going to go with twenty nine. No, twenty twenty. I'm going to go with 2018. It's 2017. Eddie Nketiah on the 28th of September 2017 was called up to the senior side for Arsenal's Europa League match against Barté Borisov. He came on for an 89th minute substitute for Joe Willock as Arsenal won 4-2. He's been around that long. That's why I said last episode, Brad, it surprised me. That's a long time, man. Wait, How old is he now? 20? 20. 223, I think. 22. But he's 22 until he becomes 23. Oh, well, he's older than I thought he was. Uh, the theme for this week was Rob Holding before his hair transplant. <laughs> I don't know why Brad chose that, but that was the theme. And uh, the question for this week is, which we unfortunately won't be able to answer this week, Ben, you'll have to tune in next week. In what season did Arsene Wenger say, I'm sorry, he didn't cost £55 million? What season did Arsene Wenger say, I'm sorry, Rob Holding didn't cost £55 million? You can work it out because he tells you how old Rob Holding is in that quote. If you know the quote, you can work it out. Ben, we finish with a little quote from the Little Book of Arsenal to try and give us some inspiration. It's like Jesse Marsh. Okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to play to win. We're going to do some... Some great soccer. This is a quote from Arsenal supporters. Good old Arsenal. We're proud to say that name. While we sing this song, we'll win the game. Wish we'd sung the fucking thing tonight. Now, Ben, I can tell you're buoyed by that. You're ready. You're ready to go out on the on the lash after that. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking we should sing it more. To be honest. Yeah, maybe it would have helped. Up from the, you would have heard it at the very back of the fucking St. James's Park. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Okay, well, that was that was therapeutic, and ultimately, it doesn't feel like there's any new problems. It just feels like we're kind of going over ground that is fairly understandable from an Arsenal well perspective. Trodden. Yeah, and and it feels as that you know it, it, we've made it harder for ourselves a hundred percent, and it's definitely disappointing, and I am disappointed, but we know what needed to be done. And we, it's still the same thing. Nothing changes after this game. And the players, and, and I have to say, the players that we bought in in the summer, I feel as though are the right, and the players that we're building around, I feel like they're the right characters and the right level of quality. Um, frustrating, but we'll get there. Dare I say trust the process? No, not for tonight. Uh, Brad, any closing thoughts? Maybe not. You win some, you lose some. That is literally true. You also draw some. Ben, uh, plug yourself. Not when and you any... ask them, you don't. That is true. You literally don't draw. Uh, ben, plug yourself and any closing thoughts, my friend. Yeah, I mean, I can only echo your thoughts on going over old ground. It's been a therapeutic, what is it, hour and, hour and a quarter, hour and a half of discussing all the old ground that... Group therapy. Twitter will have you think is new ground. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you can find me, I'm writing for 101 Great Goals at the moment, and you can find me at Ben Browning 3 on Twitter. Um, but I, was, I assume if you follow these guys, I'd hope you follow me too. Yeah, yeah. If not, no worries. The crossover's <laughs> there. He's a good follower, he's a good follower, a great writer. Uh, well, listen, boys, pleasure. Um, I look forward to getting beat by Everton on Sunday. And uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we've got a big summer ahead of us. Um Let's not be too downhearted. I'll try not to be. Right. Pleasure as always. Thanks for listening. Keep it different, Knock, and we'll see you later. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.